Attention youth leaders, if you have recently been called to lead the rising generation, I have a next step for you. Listen to an awesome presentation by Yvonne Hubert and Peter Vidmar, who are both respective members of the Young Women and Young Men General Advisory Council for the Church. Their presentation really helps clarify ways on how to effectively lead the youth using the Children and Youth Program. They also cover topics like youth-led groups, how to lead through personal ministry, how to meet youth where they are, identifying the youth's strengths and capacities. This presentation is part of the Young Saints Virtual Library, and you can access it at no cost by going to leadingsaints.org slash 14. Again, simply click the link in the show notes or go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. If you wanted further insight into a Come Follow Me lesson, you'd probably search in YouTube or get the We Believe app. Tough church history questions? You'd reach out to the B.H. Roberts Foundation. But what if you wanted to learn to be a better leader? Well, I'm glad you asked. You'd come to Leading Saints. That's why we exist, to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead by being familiar with others' leadership experiences, understand the latest leadership research, and finding a community to share ideas. That's why I'm glad you found the Leading Saints podcast. We hope you will dive into the archives and visit leadingsaints.org to find out what are the top most listened to episodes on the podcast. Welcome. You're going to love it. You know, I love talking with authors who've really spent some time sitting with a specific concept in the gospel. And that's why I wanted to have on Lauren Dalton, who we go way back. I mean, way back to California Sacramento Mission when he was serving as a counselor to my mission president. That's when I first met him. And then we've been in touch over the years. And so I was really excited to see that he spoke at Enzyme College and also uh, wrote a book about the same topic. So we're going to link to the Enzyme College talk that he gave. And it's all about the concept of receiving revelation and encouraging people to step into this dynamic of the gospel that it is happening in their life. How can we get people to lean into their faith of listening to promptings, acting on promptings, and being blessed by those promptings. Now, the first part, I can't help myself, but Lauren is actually a return mission president. Uh, he was called on a mission to preside over a mission in Brazil after his time in, in California in that presidency there. And so I had to ask him just some quick questions about serving as a mission president. What was it like going from a counselor in a mission presidency to an, the presiding and, and being the mission president and what he learned there? And so fun discussion there. And then we get into the nitty gritty of how can we go about encouraging people to listen, to dial in to the signal of revelation? What is God saying to them? What is, what is God prompting them to do? And how can we make that more of a habit and routine in the lives of those we lead? It is a phenomenal discussion. I think you'll appreciate it. So here's my interview with Lauren Dalton, the author of You Are Receiving Revelation. Now act on it. Welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. I'm excited to be here, Kurt. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Now we go way back because you were in the mission presidency of this California Sacramento mission when I was serving, at least in my last, my last year of serving. You were in that mission presidency and uh, served there for many years. And then later on in 2014, you were called as a mission president. I'm just curious, like being a counselor to mission presidency for so many years. I mean, I was in a bishopric, you know, I was a bishopric counselor for several years before I was called as a bishop. And I remember that 
transition was like, oh, I really didn't know what was going on. I mean, was it similar for you when you as, when you were a mission president as opposed to being a counselor in a mission presidency? I think even more so as a counselor, because as a counselor, you're typically dealing with the stake presidents and maybe the zone leaders and things like that in the mission. But that's kind of it. You're just not superficially there in the mission presence, really in the details of everything. So still, when it doesn't matter how many years you're a counselor, when you become the president, you get thrown in the deep end of the pool. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, was there things that you implemented as a leader, either principles or tactics or habits that you sort of copied from those other mission presidents that you served with? Absolutely. In fact, one that you served closely with, I think you had President Grow and President Hansen both, right? Yeah. Yep, each for a year. So yeah. I was lucky. And, uh, and President Hansen, as you know, had a very strong focus on family history and the temple. And I didn't take the family history part of it so much, but I took the temple part. And the, and, and the temple was really the main focus with our missionaries. I, I told them they needed to envision their people they were teaching, not in baptismal clothes, white clothing, but the white clothing of the temple. And that mm. uh, they weren't done until they got them to the temple to be baptized for one of their own family members. Mm. And uh, I love that, that is something that I took really from your missions. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely a focus. Anything else come to mind that would be worth mentioning? One of, one of the things I learned from another one of our mission presidents I served with is that, in fact, both of these, the second two I served with in Sacramento, they, they made the mission presidency meetings a chance for them to tutor us as counselors and teach us and prepare us for future service in the church. And so I took that on with me as well, that I realized that you know, I wasn't there just for my missionaries, but I needed to be there for to help the other leaders as well and, and kind of pay back as, as they helped me. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you served as a, as a young missionary in Brazil and then returned there to preside over a mission in Sao Paulo. And, and the one thing like dynamic that you see, at least from the lay member perspective, is, you know, it seems like every state president or every state conference, the mission president shows up with their wife and maybe they take a few minutes. I mean, you probably did a lot of state conferences. And so, how did you approach those? Did you have sort of a handful of go-to remarks that you share or, <laughs> or teach us about that process? Well, you know, it was interesting. As a counselor, whenever you're asked to go speak at a, a state conference instead of the mission president, they're always kind of disappointed that they got the counselor instead of the mission <laughs> president. So they got the warm-up act. Oh. Instead of the 12 to 15 minutes, you're kind of given like four to six. You know? <laughs> you're, mm. you're the accordion speaker. If we, if yeah. we go small, you're just going to bury your testimony. But <laughs> as a mission president, they're excited to have it. Now, when I served after, after Brazil, I came back and I served as a counselor in the Utah Orem mission presidency. And that was way different than anything else because in Brazil, we had seven stakes. In Sacramento, we had 11 stakes. In the Orem, Utah mission, we had 95 stakes in the mission. Oh so, so, so every single weekend, all three of us, the president and both counselors, were speaking at different state conferences. I would have every weekend a Saturday night in one stake and a Sunday morning in another, and mm -hmm. sometimes even a Sunday afternoon one. So we were just speaking all the time. And, and sometimes the stake would give us an assignment, a topic they wanted us to speak on. But when they didn't, we we're under direct orders to talk about missionary work. So. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be very odd if the uh, mission presidency member showed up and, you know, talked about something random like tithing or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so, and I'm, so being that busy, like how did they usually counsel you as far as having time to take the sacrament? How are you getting your own sacrament and covenants renewed? What I would do is after that Sunday morning session, as I would drive home, our ward was always usually already done, but there, you know, in Utah, there's chapels every yeah. few blocks. So I just stop one and walk in and, and go take the sacrament and then come home. 
Oh, okay. That makes sense. We're very accommodating here in Utah. You know, whatever time <laughs> of, of day on a Sunday, you can probably find the sacrament somewhere. So that's great. Awesome. Well, of course, I've already completely escaped your outline that you sent me. But uh, <laughs> the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is you recently wrote your first book, which I just finished my first manuscript. And wow, that's hard. Lauren. Yes. So congratulations on doing that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm w- willing to bet that the time it took you to write a book was much shorter than the time it took me, but I'm a little bit undisciplined. So. <laughs> so the book you wrote is You Are Receiving Revelation, Now Act on It. And yeah, this all came from a, perfect, those watching the video, you can see the, the cover on the screen. And this is published by which publisher again? Cedar Fort. Cedar Fort, yes. Perfect. Great publisher does some really fantastic work of getting some unique contents out there that maybe Desert Book skips over or decides not to take. So I'm glad that they exist and others do as well. Now, this came from you spoke at Enzyme College in one of their devotionals. And maybe take us through that process of how you were asked to speak of that. And then how do you came upon the, the topic? Well, the topic was something that I'd taught my missionaries quite a bit. And then they told me as they shared them with members that the members were upset that I hadn't taught them. So then I taught them in the next rounds of state conferences. When I came home from my mission, my daughter was serving, was working at what was then LDS Business College, now Ensign College. Hmm. And they had an opening, I guess they had a cancellation on a, a devotional speaker. And so she suggested my name. And I guess they had a bunch of other names that were given to them and they vetted me out and and said, if you'd like to come, we'd like to have you do it. And and so I uh, told them what I w- would prefer to speak on, and then it worked out great. I shared it, and again, I'm not a known name, certainly not like a lot of the folks they have that speak there, but the topic, I think, is a topic that members are looking for more information on. And so yeah. it has become almost viral, and I mean, it has, from what I understand, it has like almost 120,000 views or something like that, which for an ensign devotional is a whole lot. I don't think they've had very many that have done yeah. over 100,000. So it's it's just been a popular topic, even though they've had many more speakers that are far more known, but the topic is popular. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll link to that in the show notes so that people who watch the original talk as well, because it's a good summary of the book, you know? So yeah, so it's like the book in Cliff's Notes version, you know, 25 minutes. And you can... <laughs> Yeah. So give us the cliff notes of the cliff notes. I feel like that's a very 1990s term now. Maybe we that's need to true. say the the Blinkist uh, version of, of the book. <laughs> so the message is, and I think speaking to your listeners, leaders you know, that are leading saints, I think we may underestimate how many people feel like they're not getting communication from God, feel like they're not getting personal revelation or promptings. And yet they're being told all the time in general conference and Sunday school lessons, we're always told that we need to receive, we need to act on our promptings and, and that it's more important now than ever. President Nelson has said that it's going to be very important going forward. And I think we may underestimate how many people are feeling like it never happens to me. Mm-hmm. And I think as leaders, we need to be more sensitive to that and help them understand that they are receiving revelation and how to recognize it. Yeah. So that's really the, that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, that's perfect. Because there is that feeling that, you know, we hear these stories and I don't know, and this is the tough balance, right? That we want to share faith promoting stories, but we also don't want to create this assumption that this is always how it works. And I recently interviewed Thomas Griffith and he talks about his conversion story, how he had this overwhelming transformational moment 
sitting in a seminary class that a friend invited him to that converted him to the Book of Mormon. And he knew from that point on that that was it, right? And But he was reluctant sharing that because he realizes it doesn't always happen like that for everybody. And he may be an outlier or may not be common for everybody. So that's the balance, right? Yeah. In fact, when I talk to people, you know, a lot of them will feel like, and I think it's especially important with young men and young women, because I think there's some people that don't even go on missions because they're feeling like, well, if God doesn't even give me any promptings, how in the heck would I ever be a missionary? So I think it's really important that we help them see it. And in fact, in one of the talks, but it's not just them, because one of the talks I gave at a state conference when I was done, this old man comes up to me and he goes, I'm mad. And I go, what, what, you, what did I say wrong? You know, and I go, what are you mad about? And he goes, I'm 84 years old. I've been in the church my entire life, and nobody's ever taught me this. I'm mad. Why didn't I get to learn this when I was younger? <laughs> uh, no, the 84-year-old faith crisis. Not <laughs> Hold on, buddy. But the thing is, I think what happens is we read about Alma the Younger and the Sons of Mosiah. We read about Joseph Smith, and we read about Samuel hearing a voice in the Old Testament, and all of these wonderful manifestations, and even Oliver being told that he's going to have this strong burning of the bosom. And because it doesn't happen to us, we feel like we're not getting them. And yet the reason those stories are there is because, is for that very reason, they're so unique. They're so rare. And that's mm -hmm. why we have those stories. That's not how the Holy Ghost typically talks to us. And, and that's what we need to teach all of the members, especially our youth. We need to teach them how the Holy Ghost typically talks to us. And that's really the start of my book and the talk. And then I go into examples about uh, how it works. Yeah. And this is why it's such a poignant topic for a leadership audience is that, you know, a lot of them are engaging with the rising generation and wanting them to know that there is a communication happening between them and heaven, you know, and that they're worthy of it. And I'll admit, and maybe this can turn in a little bit of coaching for me as well, is that, you know, I hear these stories of individuals, for example, you know, similar ages to mine where they're, they're looking for a home and, you know, they walk into this home, they sort of have this feeling of like, this is it, right? Now, I've, anybody who's close to me know I get a bad time. I've moved a lot over the last uh, five to 10 years and people are wondering what's wrong with you. But hey, I've, there's reasons. So, but I've never like, as we're out house hunting or making like lar even large life decisions about like how many kids should we have? Or, like rarely is there like this moment of like, you shall have 27 children. I'm like, okay, honey, like, listen, that's what God told me. But but nonetheless, if someone is to ask me, Kurt, do you receive revelation? I'm like, oh yeah, sure, absolutely. But it's not, it comes differently for me. And I don't know if it comes differently. Is it safe to say that it just, it's a different experience for different people? Yeah, I think that, you know, it can be. I think that the, in fact, the way I teach it in the talk in the book is that it, one of our challenges is we, the Holy Ghost, when he's talking to us, and he is the communicator of the Godhead, that's what his role is to be the communicator. So that's how almost always 99.9% .9 of the communication from God to us is going to be through the Holy Ghost. And so it's just one person talking to another person, but the Holy Ghost is a spirit talking to another spirit, our spirit. And we mm. as physical beings have forgotten how spirits communicate. So we need to relate to it in a physical way. And what I tell people is that physical way that we can experience it and recognize it is it comes to our head just like a positive thought that just pops into our head. It, I call it a bing moment. Bing, mm. you know, this. <laughs> yeah. The problem is we think it's our idea because it's a positive thought that popped in our head. So we take credit for a godly communication and we need to stop doing that because since we think it's our own idea, we don't put that much importance to it. 
And a lot of times we don't act on it or we'll say we'll do it later or whatever. If we knew that was the Holy Ghost talking to us, we would stop what we were doing and act on it. And right. that's really what I want people to know, that these youth that feel like they've never had any revelation, no, they're getting it on a daily basis. It's happening all the time. They just need to recognize it and then act on it. Yeah. And rarely is the case, at least in my experience, is that it's something so dramatic that if even if you tried it, you would be eternally embarrassed, you know, that you're not rarely are you prompted to run out in the middle of traffic and cause a scene or, you know, right. 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 Most of the time. And, and as I sort of get in that circular logic of like, well, what, hey, I don't know, was that spirit? Was it me? I'm like, you know what, regardless of it was a spirit and Elder Bednar's talked on this where it really doesn't matter that, and I sometimes frame it like, actually, this is a practice moment. Like maybe it wasn't the spirit, but I can show God that I'm willing to respond to promptings, even if by chance, yeah, it's my own, right? It's perfect. That's a great way to do it, Kurt. In fact, Elder Rasband taught in the April 2017 General Conference. He quoted Joseph Smith and he said, if you'll act on your first promptings, Joseph Smith said you would get it right nine out of 10 times. In other Mm. words, it almost always is the Holy Ghost. And then just like Elder Bednar's taught, even when it isn't the Holy Ghost, God's still going to be happy because you're doing a good thing. So just, you know, you're not going to get in trouble. And if we don't act on it, that's where we run the risk of losing God's confidence that, hey, Next time I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to prompt somebody else who I can count on to act on that. So it's just better. I taught our missionaries that it's like tuning in your celestial radio, you're dialing it in. And each time you act on a prompting, the next time it'll get a little easier to recognize. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing, this is very, very 2023 comment, but something that that I am struggling with and, and working through and trying to figure out is like, it is so easy to like listen to some form of contact content or engage with some form of content, whether it's social media, whether it's reading an email, whether it's even, you know, I'll catch myself, you know, I'll take a break and, you know, run to the kitchen real quick, at, just in a normal work day. And I'll put my headphone in and just listen to a podcast for maybe a minute and a half as I do that. It's like, I've never give myself a moment to just let the let my spirit breathe or let you know the connection between my spirit and my brain breathe in order for me to tune that radio right and that's why we wonder you know why does the shower why is it the shower where the revelation comes well it's usually the place you're not wearing headphones Kurt. like you know so there's nothing special about the tiles in the shower or anything like that but it's, it's where your spirit's at peace and is not yeah. getting distracted by everything else yeah and so sometimes i catch myself especially for someone who works at home, doesn't have a commute, just be like, you know, I'm just going to take the next hour. I'm not going to read something. I'm not going to listen to something. I'm just going to be in my body (laughs) and maybe talk to my kids if they ask me a question. And I probably need to do that more, but... That's perfect. In fact, I used to do that with the missionaries telling them that when they say amen from their prayers, don't just say amen and pop up and get up and walk away. It's like, because a lot of times you're asking God all these things and then you say amen and God's going, well... (laughs) Oh, I guess you didn't really want to know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, get back here. I yeah. said, so after you say amen, stay on your knees and listen. You know? Yeah. So. And I, it's one of those things like, I would hate to like, there's not necessarily like, this is the A to Z of how the spirit works and everything. But like, it's one of those things, like, I love the, how you talk about tuning it in, like, just like wrestling with it and figuring it out and saying, if there is a God, you know, if, if he is talking to me, like, how can I tune that radio more? And yeah. that's where, where I'm at, where I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't be distracted by some form of content at all times a day, right? And now, of course, the listening audience should be listening to Leading Saints podcast, but outside of that, you know, so. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so. But you're absolutely right. We, it's not that we have to do that all the time, but we ought to give ourselves time every day. You don't, and it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but give ourselves some time every day to where we can just be at peace. Yeah. So going back to this point of 
you know, teaching those that we lead that they're getting revelation and work on tuning that. I'm just thinking of, you know, again, there's sort of sometimes this feeling we want to put everything in a box and sure show our the algebra of the gospel on the board like this is how it works and then you have a youth in there being like wow you know i've i've never i've read the book of mormon and i knelt down and you know did the moroni's promise and nothing happened to me right like it's hard you don't want to necessarily categorize it in a certain way so what else could you teach us you know taking us to the context of like a priest quorum or even in an elders quorum uh, you know talk, talking to adults or relief society like how can we as leaders better teach about this, what's going on here with the spiritual communication? I think it's, it's important to give as a leader to give an everyday example mm. that helps because if you give an everyday example, it's not going to be exactly how it happened to the people you're leading, but it'll be close enough that they'll be able to recognize and go, oh yeah, something similar to that happened to me. Like what I tell people, I give them the example often, I did in the talk about a guy watching TV. He's watching this TV show and out of the blue, he gets this being pops uh -huh. into his head, right? It's positive thought pops in his head. I should call so-and-so. And I tell people, so-and-so is a friend he hasn't seen in 10 years, hasn't even thought about in five years. And in the middle of this TV show, bing, I should call so-and-so. But he thinks it's his own idea that popped into his head. So he says, okay, I will after the show's over. Now, after the show's over, he completely forgets, doesn't call the person. When he remembers two days later, he doesn't feel bad about it because he goes, ah, it's just my idea. And I tell people, let's think about that. Was that really his idea? He hasn't seen the person in 10 years, hasn't thought about him in five years, and this show has nothing to do with this friend. And during the show, he gets this idea. No, the Holy Ghost knew that that friend needed to hear from him right then. And that's why he got the being. That's yeah. why the prompting came. I said, those types of promptings, those types of communications are happening to us on a daily basis. And if we would just start recognizing and acting on them and just assuming they're always from the Holy Ghost, we will help change a lot of lives. Yeah. And now, when yeah. I shared that with them, though, Kurt, the missionaries would say exactly what you said. They, somebody's hand would go up. They'd ask this question, and every head would nod. Somebody would say, President, that sounds great, but how can I tell the difference between when it really is from the Holy Ghost and when it's just my thought? <laughs> yeah. And then every head's going, yep, yep, I want to know yeah, that yeah. too. And yeah. so I always would say, that's a great question. Grab a pen and paper and write this down. And then they, they all, they're all ready, and I'd say, it doesn't matter. Just act on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they go, of course it matters. I say, no, because just like Elder Bednar teaches, it's no. If we're doing a good thing, God will still be happy with us. If we don't, if it is from the Holy Ghost, we don't act on it. That's when we have problems. So just act on it. And more, and, and like Elder Rasband says, nine times out of 10, it's the Holy Ghost. So act. Yeah. And, you know, there's those stories out there where, you know, someone's prompted, I, I just, I, I don't know, I think. President Eyring told the story once where he got this problem to sell a, a parcel of land that he owned, right? Like, like I get that there's sometimes these dramatic things where it's like, I think I'm supposed to sell my home. Well, that doesn't mean you have to do that that afternoon, but maybe that afternoon, take the step. Like, what would that, what would that even look like? You know, what, I'm just going to call that mortgage officer or whatever, and or call that my realtor or whatever it is, and just like take those steps and and just see what more is there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's And I think people will... It's more a matter of just starting to think differently about those positive thoughts. Yeah. And if we would start doing that, it just starts getting easier and easier as we go. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. This uh, Anything else as far as teaching that people are receiving revelations? Did we cover it all? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the other thing that's important, though, is um, helping them also realize that Satan's also a spirit. Hmm. And he talks to us the same way, one spirit talking to another spirit. And then I try to give people 
some things to look out for, which will help them recognize Satan's promptings and, and avoid acting on them. Because I'll tell you, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but I, I could probably write a book this thick on all the times I acted on his promptings instead of the Holy Ghost promptings, just because it just made sense. <laughs> yeah. And this is one thing I talk, you know, when I do youth firesides and whatnot, that rarely, you know, we have the, the cartoon version of the good angel and the bad angel appearing above the shoulder, right? And I learned about it from Studio C. But. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, yeah. Those are great sketches. Uh, so and so we often think that he's like whispering in our ear, like you should go rob a bank or you should go commit murder or something, right? Or something that maybe that's a little bit, a bit extreme or, you know, go look at pornography. Usually, and, and you see this even in the scripture accounts of when they recorded a, an actual temptation from Satan, he's often going after their identity, right? Even with the Savior, like, if you say you're the Christ, you know, then do this thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And and you, so it's usually coming from a, like, a, you're not worthy, a very shame-driven message. And then if you absorb that, then, of course, you're not going to act on a prompting or yeah. go to church or, you know, of course, you'll maybe then lead to looking at pornography or whatever it is, right? And you're right. You know, when Satan is the first voice, when he's trying to convince us to do something wrong, I don't even spend much time on that at all, if any, in my book, because he's so easy to recognize. He's, he's trying to get you to do something wrong. So, of course, it's Satan talking, you know, those times. So it, where he's dangerous, where I, I think he's incredibly dangerous is when he's the second voice. Hmm. And people say, well, how do you know there is a second voice? I said, well, what did Elder Rasband and Joseph Smith teach? He said, if we'll listen to our first promptings, we'll get it right. They wouldn't have said first promptings if they didn't know for sure there was going to be a second prompting. So, yeah, Satan comes usually immediately on the heels of the first prompting. We will get a prompting from Satan or one of his minions that's telling us not to do, not to act on that prompting that just came to us. Yeah. And, and that's when he's dangerous because he tells us not to do it, and then he gives us a great reason not to. I mean, it's <laughs> a really good reason. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times the Holy Ghost prompting is prompting us to do something that makes us step a little bit out of our comfort zone sometimes, to, to invite a friend to church, whatever. So when we get the prompting to not do it, which gives us a good excuse to stay in our comfort zone, it's kind of easy to say, yeah, I think I'd rather stay right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah, happens sure. a lot. Love and it. That's, first of all, the first thing that people need to know about Satan's promptings is a lot of my missionaries would come up to you and say, President, I'm getting these promptings from the adversary, and I, what's wrong with me? And I'd say, what do you mean, what's wrong with you? said, Joseph Smith got, you know, on, on the first vision, we talked about the first vision, but what happened right before the first vision? He almost gave up to die because mm -hmm. Satan came right at the end of that prayer. And what happened to Jesus right after his 40-day fast? Satan comes tempting him. So, no, there's nothing wrong with you. In fact, I'd I tell him, that means you're, it doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're great. And Satan is trying to knock you off course. In fact, he usually comes right before a great event or right after one. That's why we have so many non so many new members that fall out of activity is because right after they get baptized, Satan comes and works on them, mm. and some of them fall to that. So yeah. uh, I said, don't, no, don't ever think that there's something wrong with you. It just means that you're doing awesome. Keep it up. Yeah. Yeah, I have to frame it that we're born in a world at war, right? And we, we can't kid ourselves by thinking there's not an adversary that despises us and is coming after us and wants us to fail, right? Now, I don't mean that yeah. in like a scary or, you know, let's go hide under the bed type of thing, but yeah, there is going to be an opposition in all things, right? As we learn exactly. and let's recognize it. And most of the time it's because we're on the right path and we'll push through and figure it out. And you, you know how I, I told you I like to use everyday examples. So, yeah. so on the, the 
the way I use them, I'll, I'll share on the, the how Satan comes on the heels of the Holy Ghost. So I give them the example of a husband and wife that are having a bit of a heated discussion, maybe, and, and uh, the wife feels like the Spirit's leaving. She gets up and leaves the room, and the husband gets a bang, bang, I should apologize. <laughs> and then before he can act on it, bang, no, she started it. <laughs> and, then yeah. he, and then he acts on the second one and he doesn't apologize the idiot you know just, but that's that's what happens and then two missions this happened to our missionaries it's happened to every missionary that's ever served something similar to this two missionaries walking down the road they see an, a man talking on the cell phone on the side of the road he's he's really upset he's yelling on the phone and one missionary gets a bing that he should go talk to the guy so he starts walking over there but before he gets there he gets another bing and that second being says, no, don't talk to him, because if you talk to him now, he's going to get mad at you. He'll never want to listen to any missionaries ever again. It'll all be because you interrupted him when he's on this talk, so just keep walking. And the missionary keeps walking. And I tell everybody, the Holy Ghost knew that that guy was mad, and he still prompted the missionary to go there because they were supposed to go talk to him. Hmm. We need to act on the first prompting. And they say, well, you know, they'll give me, missionaries all the time would give me examples. Well, President, I, I thought I was acting and you know, because the... One of the issues is that it'll seem like it didn't work out. You know, you'll act on a prompting and it'll seem like it didn't work out. A missionary will say, I felt like I was supposed to stop somebody on the street and he got really mad at me. I felt like I should clap at a house in Brazil. You clap instead of yeah. <laughs> yeah, clap at a house and nobody came. Nobody answered the door or they answered the door, but they chased me off their doorstep. And they go, so I guess it was just my thought. I said, no, don't ever say that it didn't work out because it's never a surprise to God. God never goes well, there's a shock, you know, <laughs> he knows what's going to happen. So yeah. I said, just act on it and then know you did your part, smile and move on. Because that guy that yells at you when you stop him on the street and you felt prompted to talk to him, he's going to go to work the next day. He's going to tell his fellow worker about those idiot missionaries that stopped him. And that fellow worker is going to be a member of the church. And mm. he's going to say, you know, and they're going to have a great conversation. And that guy will end up joining the church all because you stopped him and he yelled at you in the middle of the street. I said, you just <laughs> got to trust that God knows what he's doing. Yeah, there's a long game happening for sure, right? Exactly. Exactly. So one point I'm glad that you bring up here is that uh, even if they have sinned, God will still talk to them. Unpack that for us. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, one of the things that Satan does really, really well is somebody will sin and he always makes that person, he works really hard to make that person feel like that person now is out of the reach of God, out of the reach of the atonement, out of the reach of... And so feels like, well, now I might as well just give up. That's what Satan wants them to do. Mm -hmm. And people need to know, even if they don't have any more the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, that does not mean that God doesn't love them. Mm -hmm. That just means that they are now unworthy to have the constant companionship. But God will still talk to them because God wants to pull them back in. For example, our non-member friends that we teach about the gospel they don't have the Holy Ghost yet, but they're still getting prompted by the Holy Ghost to accept the, the, the truths we're teaching. And that's what happens to somebody who has lost that constant companionship. God will still talk to you. He still loves you. So listen and act on him. God, you've never gone so far that you have now stepped out of the love of God. That just won't happen. And yeah. we need as leaders, we have to teach because each one of us as leaders has somebody or more than one that feels this way right now, today. They right. feel like they, they have, they're out of the reach of the atonement. God doesn't love them anymore. And as a result, some of them are giving up even on life. And we have to help them see that God loves them. 
Yeah. And I think it's been said even in general conference of the many people in the past who were never Latter-day Saints, right? Who had remarkable revelations, you know, I think of Tyndale and Martin Luther yeah. and, and, you know, they've been classified as that was a revelation from God because yeah. it moved his work in a certain way exactly. to the point where we have the restored gospel. I mean, even the, the founding fathers and, you know, all the, all those things. One story that comes to mind or one experience I had is, and it breaks my heart, you know, I was serving as bishop and there's this, uh, this couple lived across the street from me and uh, they hadn't been coming to church. I knew their names were on the, the records or on the rolls and I don't know how it worked out, but I got him to come meet with me and sort of tell a story. And he talked about being in a singles ward and he made some mistakes and it led to what was then called a disfellowship of, you know, his church membership. And he had the, the bishop, bless his heart, told him directly that now that you don't have access to the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, you cannot receive revelation. And I was like, okay, time out. Let me just set this straight, right? And it was so empowering to be able to tell him that is a lie and God is with you and wants to engage with you. And I mean, sometimes we get these misunderstandings of doctrine that are so damaging to people. And so even on the leadership level, I think we really need to check ourselves with how we understand these dynamics to work because God does not give people the silent treatment. That's not a thing. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, Kurt. Yeah. He doesn't give you the silent treatment. And in fact, it, you just explained another important thing for us to know, and that is that our friends, our family members, well-intentioned people, our church leaders sometimes, well-intentioned people will sometimes be the voice of the adversary on accident. Mm. The adversary will put a thought into their head and they'll speak it. And it was really them just uh, acting on the prompting from the wrong side. Not that they're bad people. I'm not saying that, but just accidentally that happens mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. and we need to recognize. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's complicated, but you know, that, again, that's why we just need to encourage people in, to engage in this wrestle and figure yeah, it out and, exactly. and dial it in and, and keep going. So anything else you'd say as far as, uh, you know, sin and God talking with them or being unworthy and God talking yeah, with them? Yeah. Well, so a couple more things about Satan and recognizing him. I told you about that he's usually the second voice and he's very dangerous as the second voice. And when he's the second voice, he comes right on the heels of that first voice quickly to convince us not to do act on that prompting from the Holy Ghost. And he uses great logic. And I gave you a couple examples of the, the logic that he'll use and it makes a ton of sense to people. In fact, one of the ones that works all the time with members is they get the prompting to invite somebody to church a ward activity. And then they immediately get another, no, they're going to just think I've been pretending to be their friend to, to convert them. I better not do that. And yeah. it's like, in fact, I had a friend once that told me before I became a member of the church, I was inviting people to my church all the time. Once I got baptized, now I'm afraid to. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just tell people, it's because Satan doesn't want people to come experience this. And, yeah. and, and uh, But we need to get over these, these promptings. The other thing is, he wants us to think that his promptings are our own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Because if we think they're our own thoughts, there's a better chance we'll act on it. If we recognize that it's from him, of course we won't. And being the great deceiver, he wants us to think the Holy Ghost promptings are our own thoughts. The Holy Ghost, of course, a being of truth, wants us to know that it's from him. And then the last thing that'll help us recognize him, and this is super important, Kurt, and that is he talks in the first person all mm-hmm. the time. I'm not getting anything out of reading the scriptures. My prayers don't seem to be getting above the ceiling. Nobody likes me. I'm fat. I'm ugly. Or the scariest one of all, I don't want to live anymore. 
And he has his minions repeating this over and over and over in the first person until we take over for them and we start saying it to ourselves and we start doing his dirty work for him of now we're just repeating that and we're believing it. And what I tell people is negative self-talk is never self-talk at all. It's the adversary trying to get us to, because he attacks us. You mentioned earlier about how he had, he attacks on these personal levels. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the two ends of the spectrum, either our pride on one end or our self-esteem on the other, right? Mm-hmm. And it always this comparing and he attacks hard on those ones. And so I want people to recognize negative self-talk. It's not self-talk. It's the adversary trying to get us to fall for it. Yeah. And going back to this dynamic of sometimes worrying about if it's our own thoughts, like <laughs> this is a little bit out there and and there's no clear lines here. But I really think like the, like, I, I think we draw too much of a line between, you know, what are our thoughts and what are God's thoughts? But often, like, I know that there were experiences even on my mission that I had that because I experienced those things, I then acted as a bishop in a different way. And so it wasn't that I got this clear prompting in that moment as a bishop to do this thing, but my life experience that God was guiding me down, he's molded me and created me into the person I am to think a certain way that I often don't need the prompting. Or in fact, it is my thought, but it is a very righteous thought. And God knew that thought would come by giving me these experiences. You know what I mean? So there's such this long game that's happening that it's not always cut and dry that like, okay, God gave you these two lines of prompting. Now let's see what happens. Like, no, like he's developing your character in a way that on a tough day, you'll think, you know, I haven't been in the temple in a while. Maybe not have been a specific prompting, but you've been molded into the person that generally goes to the temple and you realize I haven't been in the temple in a while. So I'm going to go to the temple, you know, and that's a positive (laughs) thing. You know, know, my wife, after she had our third baby, she went and had major, major, major depression, Mm. you know, postpartum depression, just, I mean, didn't even want to get out of bed for weeks. And, and she always wondered why she went through that. Well, we go on our mission to Brazil years later, years later on our mission to Brazil. And we have these missionaries with depression and severe depression and she, it hit her. I think I now know one of the reasons I went through what I went through is, is yeah. God was preparing me to be a resource to these wonderful missionaries. And it's a great example yeah, of you know, what you were just saying, that, that a lot of times when we're going through it, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. Later on, God knows what he's doing. You know, <laughs> Later on, it will make sense. Yeah. Or we worry that we're you know missing these promptings or whatnot because you know this wouldn't happen if I just could dial it in a little bit better with the spirit. When in reality, he's like, no, you're here in mortality. <laughs> to receive ex- experience or receive experiences that are going to shape you and mold you, you know? So yep. really good stuff. Where do you want to go next on your outline? What have I skipped? Or- um, you know, the fact that God doesn't need logic. We fall for Satan's logic all the time. And that's why he convinces us not to do some of these things that maybe, especially when he'll try to convince us that the prompting we just got from the Holy Ghost didn't make sense yeah. and not to do it. But I tell people all the time, it's like, well, how much sense did it make to build an ark on dry ground? I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things that God yeah. says that don't make sense. Or, hey, folks, follow me. We're going to cross this Red Sea right here. You know? <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. God doesn't need logic. And, and so I taught our missionaries, you just have to act on them. Even when it doesn't make sense, you need to trust that God knows what he's doing. And, and there's all kinds of examples I could use there. I'll, give, I'll just share one. This isn't in my book, but it's just a story I remember from our mission where these two missionaries that were having a terrible couple of weeks, and they just finally said, God, we're going to just follow. I taught them about the plan C. You know, I said, yeah, everybody has a plan A and a plan B. I want you to follow plan C. That's the celestial plan. What does God want you to <laughs> do? You know? And so 
They said, God, we're going to follow plan C. So they just both prayed and they said, okay, we're going to go. We're going to walk forward. And we're going to go where God, where we feel God is telling us to go. They get there and they say, okay, there's, they both felt like there's this street, two streets down that they were supposed to turn on. They both felt that way. They said, we're turning down that street and we're going to have something happen. They turn down that street, not a single house on the whole street. There's a wall on one side and two trees on the other side and that's it. And they almost gave up. And then one companion said, we felt we were supposed to turn on the street. Let's go. And he sees a shopping cart in front of one of the trees. He goes up to the shopping cart. When he gets to the shopping cart, he sees that behind the tree, there's a door that leads down. So they clap. And this man answers the door and goes, you arrived. Hmm. And they, they go, what? And he goes, you arrived. He goes, my family and I have been wanting to, to go to your church. But we didn't know where your church was, so we just had a prayer as a family that God would send somebody to us to take us to his, to your church. Thank you for coming. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the missionaries are going, President, it made no sense <laughs> at all. But we followed it, and it worked. You know, they're like, I can't believe it. It worked. Yeah. And, and that's how God does. He, there's, we just have to trust him that he knows what he's doing. He doesn't need logic. Yeah, that's powerful. And, and I, I love just you know, inspiring people just to, to try it and, you know, just take a day and say, what do you, what do we have to lose? We're going to go with plan C and see where it takes us. So exactly. In fact, one of the, the missionaries would tell me that, you know, over and over when I got them to start acting on these promptings, the number one thing I would get, because I think Satan works really hard to get it to, to not seem to work out. So I would have missionary after missionary saying, president, it's just not working. It must be my own thought. And they're telling me all those stories. So I finally meet this mission, this woman as she's getting ready for baptism. I'm doing the exception interview, and, and I say, "Why? how did you meet our missionary? She goes, I love these missionaries, but they're not the reason I'm getting baptized. I said, well, so tell me why you're getting baptized. She says, well, about three months ago, I, I can't say that I was praying to God. I was yelling at him. I said, God, you don't exist. And, and if you do exist, you certainly don't love me, not with the way my life's gone. If you love me, prove it. Send me your angels. And as soon as I said it, I was still yelling. And a clap came at the door. Hmm. So I didn't want anybody to see that I was looking out. I peeked out and it was two of your missionaries and, and they kept clapping. They wouldn't leave. And I'm like, I'm not going to, God answered that prayer too fast. I'm not going to answer it. Yeah. So they finally left. And then she didn't realize it, but she got a bing that popped into her head. Those were my angels. She told me, she goes, that, I got this thought that popped in my head. Those were my angels. And I thought, no, there's no way God could answer. I had just barely said it. There's no way he could inspire them and they could get there that fast. It's not possible. So I just kicked it out. And, you know, that's that second being that was mm -hmm. giving her the logic, right? Well, she said she kept getting that thought for weeks. And finally, she said it was about two months later. She goes, about four or five weeks ago, I'm walking down the street and two missionaries are walking up the street on the other side of the street. It's these two that are about to baptize me right now. She goes, I crossed the street to stop them. They told me later they knew something was wrong because usually people cross the street to avoid them. <laughs> so I stop them and I start crying and, and I, I just said, what do I need to do to join your church? And, and so I went to the next zone conferences and I said, I don't know which two of you. One of you had a prompting to stop and clap at a house and nobody answered. And you turned to your companion and went, well, I guess it was just my thought. Let's go, Elder. <laughs> I said, yeah. but you're the reason this woman was baptized. So That's don't cool. ever question God. Don't question yeah. God. Just act on it. And when it doesn't work out, you can't say it didn't work out. You can say that didn't work out like I thought it would. But don't ever say it didn't work out. And just shrug your shoulders, smile, and move on.
Yeah. Knowing you did man, your part. And I know your book is full of these, these stories, uh, but man, if, if someone could survey the, the whole membership of the church and mission experience and put all those things in a book, like there'd be so many of those because you just hear them all the time, you know? And yeah. so something's going on there. <laughs> Everybody has them. You're absolutely right, yeah. Kurt. Everybody has them. Yeah. Where do you want to go next here? I also tell people how important it is to act on promptings right away because you never know how urgent it is. Mm. You know, that, that it, it, sometimes it could be urgent, sometimes it isn't, but just err on the side of if a prompting comes, God wants you to act on it right then. I uh, also tell them about uh, bank shots. You know, I played college basketball, so I love to use basketball analogies, but uh, I say God, I believe God uses bank shots. You know, bank shot is where if somebody shoots it, it looks like they're going to miss by a mile and then it hits the backboard and goes in. Uh And that's what God will do that a lot of times where he'll send you somewhere that just doesn't make sense. And then you see how God knew exactly what he was doing and and the basket is made. And if you don't mind, I'll share a couple of stories. Can I share a couple of stories? One of them is in in the talk and book. The other is not. So I'll share the one that isn't first. Elder Mercedes, great Brazilian missionary of ours. He's the oldest of nine kids. And he was teaching this family that had nine kids. And he, he loved to go there because he said that when he'd go there, it was just always a mess. Everybody's yelling, screaming. They're trying to give a lesson. And there's never any peace, you know. And he goes, but I felt like I was teaching in my own home. It was great. <laughs> he just loved it. And uh, one day they're on the other side of the area from this family. And it was in the evening, and they just felt prompted they're supposed to go up this street. And he goes up this street, and there's just one house, totally dark, no lights on, across the street from a hospital. He he feels like, well, I'm supposed to clap here. And he tells his companion, they clap, nobody answers. And then he goes, and then I got the weirdest feeling. I've never had a prompting to do this before, but I got this prompting that I should just yell and say this. And so I did. We're the missionaries, and we're here to help. And uh, right after he did that, this woman comes running from the hospital across the street going, thank God. And she comes running over and it's the mom of that family of nine kids. Oh, wow. Who had one of the kids just die in the hospital. And she had gone to the hospital in such a hurry that she didn't have her cell phone with her. She couldn't call anybody. She didn't know how to reach anybody. So she just got on her knees and said, God, I need help. And then she hears, we're the missionaries and we're here to help. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> she, goes, she, goes, she comes running out and he said, we just hugged her and we stayed with her and we cried with her. I called the bishop on my cell phone and the bishop came over and she got the help she needed. But God sent us up that street to go clap at a dark house and yell, we're the missionaries, we're here to help because God knew she needed us. And uh, I just, you know, it's a, it's a bank shot. God sent you to one place thinking you're supposed to go there, but God knew what he's doing. Yeah. And often when I made bank shops, shots in basketball, I often called them, I, I threw up a prayer, right? <laughs> and it banked <laughs> in. Right. So, <laughs> That's so right. many analogies. Basketball is the perfect sport. So, you know, one thing I want to bring up is sometimes there's this feeling, and this is where, again, there's this tender balance you have to strike as a leader as you're teaching these concepts is that I would never want anybody to feel like, you know, that there's this tension or this feeling of like, oh my goodness, you know, is that a problem? Like hyper obsessing about promptings, whether if you, if you don't act now, like somebody's going to get hurt or I'm going to miss somebody's prayer, or it's going to be my fault when somebody gets hurt or whatnot to just recognize that grace is still in all of this and that it's important to, you know, dial in the radio, but recognize that your mistakes are still covered by the atonement, even if you miss a prompting or whatnot, but, you know, make it best practice that, 
if you feel like there's a prompting in your life, like take action, take a step, you know, and make something happen. Yeah. In fact, one of the things I'm constantly telling people after they hear my talk or whatever is they're saying, well, now I'm just beating myself up of all the times in the past where I have. And I said, no, 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 that's not the purpose of this message. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not to beat yourself up of the past. You didn't know these principles. You didn't understand these principles. But now apply the principles going forward. And as you apply the principles going forward, you're going to do great. Now, you're not going to be perfect. Just like you said, Kurt, nobody's perfect. You're not going to be perfect at it. But you're going to get better at it if you just keep trying to do it. And that's what God wants. He doesn't care that we're falling as we go in the right direction. He just cares that we're going the right direction. Yeah. You know, I th my mind goes to, because sometimes there's, we wonder, like maybe when something bad happens, we think, oh, did I miss the prompting somewhere? And I remember reading, I forget his name, the church did a video on him, but he lost his family in a car accident. He wrote a book called Let It Go before Disney completely stole his title and turned it into a song. But um, and they made a movie on it as well. But so he wrote this book about, uh, you know, this tragic accident he was in a he was hit by somebody, a DUI, and it killed his wife and many of his kids and whatnot. And I remember this moment in this book, he said, right before the accident, I don't remember receiving any prompting that I shouldn't go this way. And I really appreciated that, that the reality is, is we live in a fallen world. Sometimes bad things just happen. And that doesn't, doesn't mean that somebody missed a prompting or somebody was supposed to do something yeah. and didn't. Yeah. Bad things happen well, and I, God well, will still be there. Let's use the example of Abinadi. You mm. know, he followed what he knew what he was, he did what he was supposed to do. It, it didn't look like it ended very well for Abinadi, but, but he still did what he was supposed to do. Yeah. It, it wasn't like he wasn't supposed to go back and talk to King. No, he was. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So sometimes bad things happen to us. And you know what? That's called life. That's part of the test of life. Well, now this, I know his name is, is Chris. It's slowly coming to my brain, it's feeding him it to me. Anyways, but his story and his book and his message has inspired so many people because of that. And unfortunately, you know, he, he lost some loved ones in mortality, but he has them forever. And, you know, but that's just the way things work. But God will all, can always turn any mistake into a blessing, you know, a, a tragic story into an inspiring story. So that's perfect. It's, it's yep, absolutely. Anything else we're missing? Sister Gunnarsson, great sister missionary in our mission. She's walking to an appointment on one side of her area and or somewhere she had to go. I can't remember if it was an appointment, but then she gets this prompting. A, a bang pops in her head that they need to go see Kelvin. But then immediately she gets this thought that, no, Kelvin's at school and we've already got something else we have to go do on the other side of the area. But then she goes, no, President Dalton said act on it even if it doesn't make sense. So she tells her companion we need to go see Kelvin. Her companion says – Kelvin's at school and we got these other things. She, she goes, we're going to see Kelvin. So they go see Kelvin. <laughs> they get to Kelvin's house. They clap. The mom comes out. Is Kelvin here? No, Kelvin's at school. So her companion, I like to say, says what every good companion would say in that situation. Told you so, right? And <laughs> But Sister Gunnarsson knows she's there for a reason. She sees a kid sitting on the sidewalk, goes up to this four-year-old kid. Do you know a family we could take to our church? And he points to a house. It's two doors away from Kelvin's. And she goes, he's still pointing. And she goes, what's their name? She goes, I don't know. And uh, she goes, uh, do you know them at all? Shakes his head. No, he doesn't. But he's still pointing to that house. She takes her companion. They go, they clap. The woman answers the door. And I don't hear about this until about three weeks later in an email from her after their baptism saying that that woman, her husband, and the two kids old enough for baptism had been baptized the previous day. And she said, President, thank you for teaching us to go act on promptings, even when they don't make sense, because 
God knew that that woman needed us at her house that day, but he also knew that we didn't know where she lived. So he told us to go to Kelvin's house and he would do the rest. Hmm. And then two other things about that story. One, the woman bears her testimony at her baptism and says, it's a good thing the sisters called me by name because I never answer the door unless I know the people. And that Sister Gunnarsson goes up to her after the service. We didn't call you by name. Oh, yeah, you did. No, we didn't call you by name. We didn't know who you were. We couldn't have. And the woman goes, I distinctly heard a female voice call me by my first name. And that's the only reason I let you in. Oh, wow. That's and then cool. Sister Gunnarsson wants to thank the little boy. She describes the little boy to everybody in the neighborhood. He doesn't exist. And I tell, tell people, it's God's work. He's going to do his miracles. It's just a question of whether we want to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Awesome. Any other principle or concept before we wrap up that you want to make sure we squeeze in here? Before I share one last story, I guess I'd love to tell people to not take the wrong thing from this story. And that is, don't ever give ultimatums to God. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. times people will say, well, God, unless you do this, then I'm going to do this. And we can't do that. And that did happen in this story I'm about to share. But we can't do that because, you know, we should never do that because we don't ever know if God... We know that we, each of us, have sometimes not acted on the prompting that God gave us. What if God prompts somebody to do something to save us from that thing that we just gave an ultimatum on? They don't act on it. So, so no, don't do that. Don't be stupid enough to do that. <laughs> but if, if you don't mind, I'll share this last story. It's, yeah, it's the last part of my talk, and it's a story that kind of wraps up all the different principles into one. That, that My mom shared it at a family home evening lesson, and uh, it had happened years earlier. She didn't t share with us the name of the woman. That's not important. But she said that one day she was folding laundry. Now, she's my mom was, had 11 kids. I'm number nine out of 11. So she did laundry a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, she was do doing laundry and she she got this thought, bing, I should call so-and-so. So she she taught herself always to act and act immediately. So she just stops what she's doing. She calls the woman and the conversation goes like this. Hi, hello. How are you doing? Fine. I just thought I'd okay. Is there anything I know? Bye. Click. My mom smiles, shrugs her shoulders, and goes back to doing laundry. Three days later, knock at the door. My mom answers the door. It's this woman. Why did you call me? <laughs> My mom goes, well, I just felt, no, I have to know. Three days ago, when you called me, why did you call me right then? I have to know. My mom says, come on in, sit down, and I'll tell you. And she comes in, sits on the couch, and my mom says, there's the strangest thing. I was just folding laundry and I just got this strong impression that I needed to call you right then. So I called you and I'm sorry, I caught you at a bad time. I know I did. I apologize for that. And the woman just starts bawling. My mom said that for almost five minutes, the woman just sobbed and my mom just held her and let her cry. And then finally, the woman said, no, let me, when she finally could control herself enough, she said, let me tell you why you called me. She said, three days ago, for months, I'd been suffering from deeper and deeper depression. Well, three days ago, I'd had it. I decided I was going to kill myself. I got on my knees and I told God, unless a miracle happens, my dad, my husband is coming home to a dead wife tonight. So then she said, I got up and I was in the very act of taking my life when the phone rang. And it startled me so much that I answered it. And right after I picked it up, I'm thinking, why in the world would I answer the phone when I'm about to kill myself? And that's why I treated you so rudely. And I'm sorry that I did. But as soon as I hung up the phone, I got this feeling that God was talking to me saying, that was the miracle. You said you wanted a miracle. That was the miracle. And I'm thinking, no, that's not a, a miracle. That's a, that's a coincidence. And it's not even a coincidence. It's an annoyance. It's, and that's what my, my thought was. And then the thought kept coming back. And for three days, it won't leave my mind. That was your miracle. Go ask her. Go ask Sister Dalton. That was your miracle. 
So I came to you today because I had to know why you called me. And now I know, Sister Dalton, you were my miracle. And I know to you, it seemed like a small thing just to make a phone call to a friend. But you, what you don't realize, and it would have been so easy for you not to do it. But what you don't realize is that your phone call saved my life. And now I know God knows me. He loves me. And he answers my prayers all because of your silly phone call. And then my mom said to us, what would have happened had I said, when I got that prompting that came to me, what would have happened if I had said, I will call her after I finish with the laundry? And that's when she told us, she said, not only do we need to act on the promptings when they come, but we need to try to get to a habit of acting on them right when they come, because we never know when it's urgent. So just act on them. And then she said, most of the time, we won't get to see the happy ending. <laughs> a lot of times it'll seem like it didn't work out. But just smile, shrug your shoulders and say, I did my part. And the rest is between God and that person. Yeah, powerful. Well, again, the book is, get the title in front of me here. You are receiving revelation. Now act on it by right. Lauren Dalton. And uh, I'm grateful that you took time to prepare the talk, prepare the book. And people can buy it online or anywhere else you'd mention. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think people just go online, I think. Desert Book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. So Perfect. Yeah, and leave a review and do all those things that help Please. the author out. So, uh, very good. Well, Lauren, last question I have for you as you reflect on your time as a leader in the church, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I think Christ gave us the greatest example that the to be a real leader not only starts but ends with being a great follower. And that you can't, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've learned through experience that you can't be a great leader in his gospel, in his kingdom, unless you're leading by following him. That the best way we can lead is by following his example. And as we follow his example, we will, we will lead the way he would want us to. And uh, I think the most important thing any leader in the gospel can do is to be the best follower of Christ he or she could possibly be. Now that we've reached the end of the episode, I quickly want to thank you for supporting the Leading Saints podcast. There's so much content out there to consider, and you picked this one. If Leading Saints has made an impact in your life, we would sure like to hear about it at leadingsaints.org contact. And if you could quickly text or email this episode to a leader you know, I bet it will bless their life. You can mark off your good turn daily, and let's even call it ministering. Okay, maybe not that far. But seriously, thank you and help us share this content. Remember, check the show notes to listen to the powerful presentation by the General Young Men, Young Women Advisory Council members, or go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.